Hey there, it's Scary Parish. It's Wednesday, November 21st, 2018. Welcome back to the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me. He's in Connecticut. I'm in Maui. It's 80 degrees and beautiful. You want to give me the temperature in Connecticut just so I can feel a little better about myself? 26 and dropping here on this Thanksgiving Eve in Connecticut. We are due for a high of 25 and a low of 14 on Thanksgiving. So that's going to be great. I hope you're certainly enjoying the sunny weather and uh, what's been an interesting three days worth of hoops in Maui. How are we doing, GP? Good. The weather is terrific. One of the things I've learned about Maui is that it's just about 80 all the time, like at night, in the morning, middle of the day. And it's funny to hear people like, it's like 80 today, which is amazing to any normal person. And like some of the locals are like, yeah, it's just kind of too hot outside. I'm like, what are you talking about? You have no idea. Like my buddy Matt Norlander is dealing with a low of 14. It's beautiful <laughs> here. And so, yes, it's been tremendous. But I have spent most of my time um, in a civic center watching basketball games. And I just got back um, from the civic center to my hotel. Earlier today, I watched the championship game. I was courtside. It was number one Duke, number three Gonzaga. Just the 13th time in history that we've had a top three uh, matchup between uh, that's played in November. And so when you get something like that so rare, all you hope is that it lives up to expectations. And boy, did this one ever live up to expectations. Final score was 89-87 Gonzaga. So Duke, the team that people were discussing on Wednesday morning, you know, debating whether they could beat the Cleveland Cavaliers, debating whether they could beat a, uh, an NBA team. Uh, they spend Wednesday afternoon losing to a WCC team. Uh, you watched it on television. I'll turn it over to you. I mean, as far as November basketball games go, you can't do much better than that, can you? Great stuff. Maui always appeases, entertains, even if the championship game in some years isn't a great one, either that first or second day minimum will have one, usually two really good games. And uh, I will say this, before we get into it, uh, for our purposes this year, Parrish, and happy Thanksgiving to our listenership. Uh, for anyone that's actually listening to this on Thanksgiving morning, or maybe you're, you're doing it, getting away from your family or whatever, uh, we appreciate you. If you're getting to this the day after, then we appreciate that as well. And we will get a third podcast to you before this week is out. we got to figure out when we're going to do that. But happy Thanksgiving to everyone listening. But I will say this, Parrish. Normally, and I don't know if this was a one-year deal or if it's going to be like this going forward, but because LeBron was returning to Cleveland with the Lakers, I think that's why the championship game was played when it was, a 5 o'clock Eastern tip. Normally, Maui is that 10, 10.30 tip at night. And, uh, you know, I'm sure I'm not alone in terms of other, you know, big college basketball fans. It's almost like Thanksgiving tradition is you try and just make it through that title game, hope it's a good one, and then you uh, crash, and then you wake up and it's Thanksgiving. So I love it for our podcast, but it did feel a little weird to have this awesome game uh, tipping off when it was still daylight outside. But yes, it was it was great. Um, and Gonzaga won. I did think Gonzaga was going to win. I uh, actually almost nailed the score on Twitter, which was uh, a borderline one time deal here. The reason why I thought Gonzaga was going to give uh, Duke a really, really good game was I thought that Rui would be a tough matchup and I thought that they would be able to play well given how good of a team it is offensively and the size they had. Now, what actually ended up happening, Parrish, was not exactly what I anticipated. Uh, Brandon Clark was a stud, okay? He he gave Zion Williamson a real challenge, a real game. You can speak to that. You were seeing it up close and personal. But he had 17.6 blocks, and that is an NBA-level athlete. So, frankly, it was refreshing to see Zion Williamson go up against the kind of guy that he will face 
two, three, four times in a night when he gets to the next level next season. But for Gonzaga, huge. I mean, number one seed in the West, basically. If they played a form, and that means even losing at North Carolina next month and all that. If they played a form, win the WCC, this is the kind of win. You go through Maui, you get you get your victories. Like They're in the driver's seat for the number one seed out West going forward. So, you know, I've got plenty of thoughts here, there, everywhere on this. But uh, my immediate takeaway was great, great win for Gonzaga. I got stuff on Duke, but I'll, I'll hold off for that for a second. Um, just overall happy that Maui went Maui, got another classic game, the best possible matchup, the top two teams in the tournament. They wind up playing in the championship, and then it lives up to it, Thanks, thankfully, for Duke pushing late and actually making a close game in the final few minutes. Can you hear the luau going on outside of my window? I can't, but now I, <laughs> I can't, but now I really hope that I will soon because you know what? Let's just add that flavor to this podcast. Why not? It's very distracting. Let's see if I can open this. <laughs> it's very distracting, like me trying to listen to you talk about Rui Hachimura, why there's a luau going on outside. <laughs> but uh, I'm doing my best. Let's I think do it, man. I don't know how to unlock a door. Even if door? even if we get a little bleed over, I'm totally good with it because you know what? We every there's a, just a few episodes every year we get something that's never happened on the podcast before, and to get to get some some luau atmosphere going on, I'm totally down with it. They have like wild halftime shows at every game, Maui Invitational. So it's like I don't want to be disrespectful, so I'm not even going to use a term. I don't know what the proper term is, but it's. It's people beating drums and yelling all, like for like 10 straight minutes. So <laughs> that's been something. And now the exact same thing is going on outside of my uh, hotel room. Um, back to the game. Uh, so what I ended up writing, and the column's up now, CBSSports.com, is that um, you know, Duke came out and jumped on I, – I mean, uh, Gonzaga came out and jumped on Duke the way that Duke's been jumping on everybody, Auburn included, because – you know, yesterday, uh, Auburn made a run at Duke late, but the you know Duke was up, I think, 17 in the first half of that game. So Duke has been jumping on pretty much everybody early, and that's what Gonzaga did to them. They were up um, 16 very early in the second half after shooting 64% from the field and 60% from three-point range in the opening 20 minutes. And... As I wrote, with seven, I think 719 to go, I want to make sure I've got it exactly right. With 720 remaining, Duke was down 13 points, 79-66. And there was really nothing that had happened in the previous 33 minutes that made you think that they were about to go on a run. But then they really just flexed. I mean, it was a Zion dunk. It was an RJ dunk. Uh, they end up going on a 21 to 8 run. And so that score goes from 79-66 Duke to 87-87 in less than 6 minutes. And suddenly we've got a two a tie game less than 2 minutes to play. But on the subsequent possession to Zion scoring on a post move to tie it 87-87, Rui then scores to make it 89-87. And I don't know if they picked this up on television, I imagine they did, but Duke missed seven straight shots in the final 54 seconds. And I think four of them were blocks. And they just could not score you know, to close it. And so with Rui's uh, last bucket, they got him to 20 points, and he ended up getting the MVP. It was kind of a funny moment. <laughs> Somebody asked him in the postgame what it was like to get the MVP award. And, you know, he's, for people who don't know, he's from Japan. And he speaks English, but it's, he speaks better English today than he ever has. 
but it's still broken a little bit. He didn't understand that they were giving him an MVP award. He did, He was like, I didn't know what they were doing. I didn't understand what was happening. And so he won the MVP, even if, even if he was the last to know. But he gets that. Uh, he gets his 20th point on that last bucket. And even more interesting was that, and this started happening a lot in that run, they started like trying to get him into matchups. And he talked about this afterward, and it was it was it was pretty fascinating because he said it was pretty clear. He said R.J. Barrett's like switch got me to switch on him. He wanted me. He wanted to switch on. He wanted me to switch on him, and then he wanted to play me one on one. And this is the possession where Rui ended up getting the block. And he said, so when he do, he's doing that to me, he strongly suggested like he took great offense to that. Like, yo, man, you don't want to go at me. Like, you think this is this is really what you want to do? And in fairness, it probably is what he wants to do. In fairness, but, RJ cooked him a couple times earlier in the game, so they, it, RJ was right to uh, to think that in the moment to a certain degree. No question. And so, but Rui like was fired up about it. And the quote from him was, um, it, again, it was broken, so it's hard to know exactly what he was saying. But the gist of it was, um, hey, listen, I know you're great, but I'm great too. You're your team's best player? Well, I'm my team's best player. Let's go. Let's do this. I mean, that's that's actually what he said. He said uh, he switched on me and then tried to play one-on-one against me. And I and then I was like, okay, let's do it. And then he ends up getting that block. And I don't want to say it was the difference in the game because RJ was also blocked at the buzzer. But it is among the reasons Gonzaga was able to, 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 to beat the team that, again, on Wednesday morning people were discussing, um, stupidly, but still discussing whether Duke could – Go undefeated. Whether Duke could beat the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, now Gonzaga is undefeated with a win over that team, and it's a pretty impressive early season resume for uh, for the Zags. Particularly when you understand that it, it's undeniable at this point, Rui is the star of that team. He's the projected lottery pick on that team. But this is also true: the leading returning score from last season's team is Killian Tilly, and he had ankle surgery a couple weeks ago. He's out till late December, early January, and yet Gonzaga just beat a Duke team that had already beaten two top ten teams, Kentucky and Auburn, without Killian Tilly. That's impressive stuff. Big time. The fact that Tilly wasn't in this game, I mean, Parrish, if you know, if we if we do the hypothetical and Tilly plays in the game, plays well, and Gonzaga is basically so much of what we saw there, maybe Brandon Clark isn't on the floor as much. Maybe that changed a little bit of the dynamic. Uh, maybe Gonzaga wins by 10 or 12 and never gets close, and we're having an even different discussion of one we're having now. But regardless, um, Gonzaga doing this without Tilly is, is fantastic. And Rui had himself overall a pretty good game, some clutch blocks near the end. Um, defensively, he was good, not great, and that's just what you're going to get with him overall. Offensively, he's terrific, and they, uh, the stuff Gonzaga was running in the first half was awesome. Now, granted, they, they also had some shots fall. Like It was the opposite from Auburn. Gonzaga was able to hit some threes that really gave itself uh, a certain level of comfort and confidence that Auburn just frankly did not get in the first 20 minutes when we played Duke on Tuesday. And so that was a big reason as well. As far as the Duke stuff, uh, you know, I guess the coverage of Duke was it was larded with bursts of eager hyperbole, Paris, and that's fine. But the reality is, is it's still a young team and it, they work, Paris, they work well as a unit. And it's almost why the ending was ironic because actually it was a good game, and then the, and the final minute was just eh. 
I mean, Gonzaga missed, I think, four foul shots. You mentioned, like, Duke had four shots blocked. Barrett went 0 for 5 uh, down the stretch, and it was ISO, 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 all Barrett. And it was not – it wasn't emblematic of what we've seen with Duke so much in the early part of the season, GP. Um, it was great to see Gonzaga – uh, basically not give a damn about Duke's reputation. Sitall played well, held off late, and it even looked good despite being uh, induced to some mistakes of its own. Like this for Gonzaga, I want to say this was like overall in totality, B-plus game, maybe A-minus. Like they didn't have to play a perfect game to beat Duke, and other teams won't have to play a perfect da- game to beat Duke. So with me, the question should have never been about will Duke – uh, be able to go undefeated. And for the purpose of this podcast, I would like to invoke a rule that we will not entertain that kind of stuff until we get to January, no matter what kind of team it is. Because you know what? Well, let like, me, here, let me say, let me add this to it. We will not entertain it when, as of last night, when people were still talking about it, Duke still on its schedule, starting today, had 13 games to play against top 25 Ken Palm teams. And I think five of them were True road games, including at Virginia, at North Carolina, at Virginia Tech. Um, I, I noted this in my column from Tuesday night. Coach K, just in, so casually, in the in you know while talking about something unrelated, he just sort of said, "We're going to get beat. You know, you can play well in our league, and you're going to lose." And it was just like, why doesn't any, why doesn't everybody else understand that? Like, you can go check my column. I wrote it in that column. I said it's not impossible for them to go undefeated because technically it's not impossible. They could win every game, but they're not going to. And so, um, yeah, we're not. We might say some wild stuff sometimes, but I, if you don't mind, I'll give us credits on this. We never spent a minute talking, trying to talk seriously or at all, about whether Duke could beat an NBA team or whether Duke would go undefeated. I can't imagine an ACC team going undefeated, particularly an ACC team that ended up playing three top ten teams in its non-conference schedule. Like, people love to bang on Duke about they don't play road games. They played three top ten teams before Thanksgiving. And do you realize if they would have beaten Gonzaga, they would have become the first team in college basketball history to have three wins over top ten teams before Thanksgiving? Only one team in college basketball history has ever had three wins over top 10 teams in the month of November. And guess who that was? Duke in 2000, I think, 11, 2012. Mm. So if you've got, you're going to play three top teams in the non league, then go play your ACC schedule. You're not going undefeated. And so maybe everybody else can keep that in mind. Let me bottom line it for you. I don't care who your college basketball team is in any given year. You could put them up against the worst NBA team and they'd get smashed every time. That's, that's a fact. So, like the debates are the debates about this stuff are dumb, but the good news is now, now after this loss, they should be over. Yeah, they should be. Um, well, couple quick things here as we tag this discussion. Um, that was Gonzaga. It was only the fourth meeting between these programs ever, and the first one was like twelve years ago. Gonzaga's first win ever against Duke, uh, first loss Duke ever took in the Maui tournament. So it's seventeen and one all time. On the island, uh, first time they played, and it was back in 92. And then uh, their most recent one prior to this was, I think, 2011. Uh, so Gonzaga picks a great time to get a great win overall. Individually on the Duke side, um, just a few quick notes on all their players. Uh, R.J. Barrett's still the best player on this team, but damn, did he have tunnel vision and make some bad decisions and had some hero ball, and it cost him because Zion Williamson didn't have a great game. In fact, I'd, I'd give Zion probably Parrish... B plus overall for Maui. Like he has some really great moments. Uh, I'm, how about this? 
He missed two dunks uh, on Wednesday. Uh, you know, maybe it's because of the nature of the player he is, but I was almost going to say over under 1.5 missed dunks for the rest of the season for Zion Williamson. But you know what? Maybe guys are going to body up on him and he's going to take on the challenge and, and clearly go over that. But it was weird to see him miss a couple of ones, including one that was point blank. Uh, point I'm making here, though, is that Barrett didn't seek out Zion. Reddish was on the bench. He had a terrible, relatively speaking for him, he just he was he was an, a non-factor in the in the in the title game here. And Trey Jones was solid. He had what 17 points. I think that he is going to be the guy that is more likely going to bail out this team uh, and not force things, not create moments or plays where it's going to be a regrettable situation. I just think he's going to be the steady guy. Isn't the best player on the team, but there's just I, I, there's something about him that I think that that uh, he's going to really help pull the team all together but you had an instance here where you take the 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 top four freshmen uh and trey was good zion was pretty solid rj just you know that final minute was 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 a bad look for him and then reddish just had an off night there um you know i don't want to boil it down as simply as this but if you want to have one takeaway and say okay if you want to beat duke like you got to keep at least two. You got to hope two of the four have a bad night. It's probably going to be pretty close to accurate. At least one of the four is going to have to have a bad night. But on that note, real quick, one more thing. Marquise Bolden didn't play well um, after playing, the, frankly, the game of his career against Auburn. He had never looked better in a Duke uniform than that. And then he comes back and he's just outmatched, and it was just bad flashbacks for him. But even just other guys, Paris, like Jack White has made a massive leap. Massive, and I'm going to save all the white stripes puns for, for frankly, for copyon.com because I got about 74 of them I can use for the rest of the season. But Jack White has been terrific, tremendous, and so he's another factor. So this Duke team isn't just those four. Obviously, the four stars are the four most important players, but they do have other guys that have stepped up here, there uh, that are going to, you know, be factors overall. But that's just a, a quick, a quick read on Duke both tonight and over the course of the past three days. Um, they they certainly showed new phases of what they are, GP, but they also showed plenty of vulnerabilities, and Gonzaga absolutely deserved to win. Gonzaga, to me, is a better basketball team right now than Duke. If they played again tomorrow, Duke would be favored, but if you had me play Duke and Gonzaga in a seven-game series, I'd probably take the Zags 4-3. to three. A couple things on Duke, then one last thing on Gonzaga, then we'll move on. Um, you're exactly right about Trey Jones. He's awesome. He's great, and he held it together. He was... Um, I know that Zion and RJ had the highlight plays, but like Trey, in in many ways, is the one that sp helped spark at the very least um, that twenty-one to eight run that that got us tied in the final couple of minutes. Um, I think each coach is is obligated to bring at least one player and no more than two to the post game press conference. And unless I'm forgetting something, I think Kay brought Trey Jones every time. Which which just says something about him. He 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 really likes Trey. Um, you can tell in the way that he talks about him, uh, both in his presence and 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 out uh, you know outside of of Trey's presence. And he's really good. You know, I I didn't know if he was good as his brother. I think I think he is. Mm -hmm. You know, I think he's gonna be a rock solid first year point guard, which ain't easy to be. Um, a run your team point guard. You can get those guys who come in and they're just overwhelming physical. Uh, specimens who are lead guards who are just awesome you know in their freshman and, and often one year of college but to be a run your team awesome point guard you know uh Tyus was that way back when Mike Conley was that at Ohio State and I think I think Trey Jones is that um on yeah, one of the great things about being at this event and I and I cannot speak highly enough about it it's just terrific everything is 
is first class. Um, the people are great. Um, and the building being so small is just, it, it, it makes it, I talked to a bunch of NBA scouts and they're like, we come here not just because we love Maui, but you, you can't get closer to the players than we are allowed to be here. Like even NBA scouts are sitting on the floor. You know, if they go to the Champions Classic, they sit in, you know, in the stands somewhere. And there's a real benefit to being on the floor. You know, I, mean, I said two feet from Zion Williams, where Zion Williamson would, would, you know, catch a ball all the time. So you get a real feel for how big these guys are or how big they're not. And I would tell you, Zion's massive. And I know that's not breaking news, but he's just, and I say this as respectfully as you can say it, because I'm disgusting. Who am I to talk about anybody? But he's too big. He, he you know, the, the NBA, when he gets to the NBA, they're going to change his body. And he, I, I promise you, in his second year, unless he's got some sort of issue, in his second year, by his second year of the NBA, he won't look like this anymore, because they don't, they don't want him to look like this. He's, he's noticeably, just, just too big, and yet is still able to do all of these things that he does. And when I talked to a couple of NBA people who were in the building, they were like, if he can do all this at 285, when he's just like his body's not what it should be. Like, what's he going to do when we get him to 265? Because we're going to try to get him to 265. And so um, as amazing as he's already been and is, I look really forward to seeing what he is when when he is playing at the weight he's supposed to play at. He can obviously still be great at this weight, but he's going to be a different animal when you get him down to where, they are, where they're going to want him to be. Uh, last thing on Gonzaga. Um the teams are staying at different places, but Arizona and Illinois are both staying at, at my same resort. Like the Illinois team is like literally on my floor. Like I'm, I'm I like, I think my room's next to Trent Frazier's. And so, I mean, I, I'm being serious. Like they're, they're all, I, so I'm, I'm, I see Illinois players and coaches and Arizona players and coaches nonstop. I say all that to say this on Monday morning, before I even went to the gym, I bumped into Brad Underwood. They were getting ready to play Gonzaga in the first game. It was going to be the last game of the day, but the first game for them. And he'd been watching a lot of film on him, and he said, what do you think? I, I asked him, what do you think? And he's, you know, he, he broke it down, you know, this player, that player, that player. But his, his large takeaway was, he said, I could, I could show you a folder of all their sets, and it's like inches deep. He's like, they, they run like 50 different sets. He's like, Mark's got, he's like, I don't know if it's the smartest basketball team on, in a country, but it's got to be near the top of the list because you can't, you can't take normal basketball teams and, and, and get them to understand all the stuff Gonzaga's doing and get them to remember all the things Mark's asking his players to, to, to remember. And I think, and the reason I, I wanted to bring that up is because of what you said about Gonzaga in the first half against Duke. They were just running great stuff, one thing after another after another. And Brad, you know, in, in the process of scouting him, he was like, it's just like – he said they could run a different ATO every time if they wanted to and have stuff left over. He said it's really unique. Most programs, most, most teams don't have as much stuff to run as Gonzaga has to run. And I think that showed up on television, and I think it gave Duke props. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, okay, other – uh, other big news item here um, is Wiseman committing. James Wiseman commits to Memphis. That happened Tuesday. He obviously does that in doing so. Doesn't pick Kentucky. Um, I, I have a column about it on CBSSports.com, which uh, 
you know what? I was actually appreciative of the chance to get to write about James Wiseman committing to Memphis because uh, rightfully so, Parrish has been on the – the Wiseman, Penny, like as as it should be. Anytime something of note happens with that, Parrish is the voice of that on the site for us. But because it happened at like 7.30 local time where GP was at and he was in Maui, had HQ stuff, CBS Sports HQ and all that, I was like, you know what? I'm going to take this one. So I, I channeled the spirit, optimism, and Pollyannish nature of GP's deepest Memphis ties to write what I think is one of the most uh, praiseful columns that I could ever drum up about the Memphis program. But by the way, I meant everything I wrote in regard to Penny Hardaway. And I got some pushback a little bit uh, from Kentucky fans, or maybe even non-Kentucky fans. Hey, listen, you know, he coached this kid. Wake me up in two years when he's recruiting kids outside a Memphis area, and it's not just kids he already knew from his program. While that's a viable point, my greater point was this. Uh, you get the number one recruit, and you have continued to make real relevant moves on the recruiting trail with your staff. And when you add it up at the end of the day, you know, you've got the, a top 11 class that can probably and will probably crack into the top 10 and will frankly go down as a top five class, maybe a top three class uh, that Memphis has had in the past 15 years. And that means that Penny Hardaway, from this perspective of recruiting and impact, there has not been a coach hired in college basketball since Cal went to Kentucky in 2009 who has made more immediate relevant national impact than Hardaway. Chris Maxey went a great job at Louisville and they've got a great class. But you know what? Penny Hardaway's got the number number one guy, and he's probably going to get another four-star or five-star. So what's happening here uh, is a just clearly a, a massive shift, and it's almost as if what happens this season is of little consequence because it's all about the build-up to next year. And, yeah, maybe Memphis is good. Maybe they're just okay. Maybe they're bad. But this is absolutely a let's just see what Penny can do, and the next year is when it really gets going. So huge news for the Tigers, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just a crazy irony that Cal misses out for the seventh straight year on getting the number one overall prospect because technically Simmons was over Scal, uh, and he does so at the hands of his former school. Um, the people who tweet at you and say, well, let's see, let's wait till he coaches games are just totally missing the point and have no grasp for what the Memphis program is supposed to be, what it had dipped to, and what it is now. This is why when Memphis fired Tubby Smith and hired Penny Hardaway, Nationally, it was not popular. There were people, friends of ours, who ripped it, mocked it, rolled their eyes at it. And I, I was never going to get in a back and forth with anybody anywhere about it because, um, A, who cares? But B, then it looks like I'm, you know, uh, just defending Memphis at all cost. And so it's just a no win for me. But I, I watched it all go down and I was just like, these people just don't understand. Because, you know, in the past two years under Tubby Smith, recruiting had hit a modern era low. They never enrolled at, or even signed a top 100 player. And they never got a Memphis player. I mean, that's almost impossible to not get a Memphis player in two years if you're the coach at Memphis. Couldn't do it. Season ticket sales, historic low, modern era. Um, donations, modern era low. Everything. Uh, on the court product, modern era low. I mean, people got so mad at Josh Pastner. In those seven years, particularly the last two, Josh Pastner's worst team was significantly better in all the computers than Tubby Smith's best team. It was bad. And you would go to Tiger games sometimes, and there'd be a 1,000 people in FedEx form. What? When they used to get 16,000 for Memphis against East Carolina? Now you got 
a thousand for Memphis against anybody. They had to give away like eight thousand tickets to get above ten thousand for Cincinnati game last season, and that's a his, that's a traditional rival that was ranked in the top ten at the time. And I had been saying on my radio show, and I'm certain on this podcast for nearly a year. It does not matter what you think's right in this in terms of you can't fire a coach after two years. You have to do it. This is a disaster, and you don't do it and open up a coaching search. You do it and you hire Penny Hardaway because he'd fix your money problem, your season ticket problem. He'd flip the vibe of the program immediately, but then he would also um, – you know, he's got ties to these class of 2019 prospects. And I said, if you know, he's going to have a chance to, to flip DJ Jeffries – and he's going to be the leader to get James Wiseman. If he can recruit James Wiseman from Nashville to Memphis to play at East High School, I don't know why he can't uh, recruit him from East to Memphis, which is less than a mile away from each other. And it all came to fruition this week. And so, listen, if you want to be skeptical that the on-the-court results are going to match whatever the recruiting rankings end up being, that's fine with me. Um, but I will say he does have a former NBA coach of the year on his re- staff in Sam Mitchell, uh, another guy who's respected as a great basketball mind in, in Mike Miller. And when you talk to college coaches who watch Penny's team on the grassroots level, they will tell you that he, quote, knows how to coach, that he can coach. And I will say I've watched all their games so far, and he doesn't look at a place. He doesn't look at a sorts. He doesn't seem overwhelmed or overmatched. Um, and so, but if you want to be skeptical of that, that's fine. But I'll just leave it at this. If you're going to keep getting top 50 players in the American Athletic Conference, you're going to win a lot of games whether you coach or not. You know, that, that's what John Calipari and Josh Pastner did to Conference USA. They just overwhelmed them with athletes. It doesn't matter if one's a good coach and one's not a good coach or whatever your opinion is of those guys. You can overwhelm people in a league like the AAC. Not in the ACC. You can't overwhelm people in the ACC because there's Duke and Hall of Fame coach. There's Carolina and Hall of Fame coach. There's Tony Bennett. There's Mike Bray. Uh, there's Jim Beheim Hall of Fame coach. Like you ain't, you ain't going in that league and just getting good recruits and winning automatically. But in the AAC, I think you, I think you probably can. And, and, you know, we'll see. But this first year is now just gravy. If he wins with this team, it'll be like, oh, wow, look what Penny did. And if he loses with this team, it'll be, well, that's because Tubby Smith left him nothing. <laughs> but the guys are on the way. And, um, you know, they're still involved with multiple five-star guys. I don't know if they'll get another one. But it, it seems pretty clear already he's going to be able to recruit at a high level. And if you can really recruit at a high level and keep the local kids home, like he's 7-7 seven seven now in targeting local kids, um, you're going to be – you're going to be good enough to be uh, um, to be really relevant in the city and and somewhat relevant on the national level, if not completely relevant on the national level. And I do think, and there's a lot of metrics that show this. Every time we write about Penny Hardaway, it does well. Um, I talked to Dana O'Neill from the Athletic. She's done multiple Penny Hardaway stories. She says they do really well. Um, there's a certain interest level across this country because. It's a former first-team All-NBA, NBA All-Star guy now running a program and running it well. Um, as I said on Twitter last week, or earlier this week, rather, Penny Hardaway on Tuesday became the first college basketball coach in history to get a commitment from the number one prospect in America in the same calendar year in which he was hired for his first D1 job. So there's some unprecedented stuff going on, and uh, and I, the city could not be more fired up, particularly relative to where it was uh, a year ago, like people were just 
detach from the program. It could be Tiger game day, and you wouldn't even really know. And now, uh, you know, people can't get enough of it. So it's been an interesting, it's been an interesting few months to watch Penny do what he's done. Yeah. Um, real quick before we transition to our final topic here, uh, in terms of the actual commitment, um, Paris, I don't know if you, I think you were probably watching us. It was. I did. Were you were you watching uh, were you watching on TV when you made it? I did watch. Yes. I, the thing about being here in Maui is that yes, it, that announcement went off at like seven thirty local my time, but because of your body clock, I'm up at five a.m. every morning here at the latest. And even if I go to like last night, I went to bed at twelve thirty, five o'clock. I'm wide awake because it's it's nine o'clock back home, and I got I got kids. I don't sleep till nine o'clock. I don't sleep till I wait. I'm up at I'm up at six fifteen basically every morning back home. So it takes everything I got to sleep to what would be 9 o'clock. So I'm up early every morning, and I was up early enough to watch the Wiseman announcement. Well, you know, when we get some years down the road here, um, you know, call it seven, eight, nine years or whatever, and Wiseman really looks back, and who knows what his future is going to bring uh, in his one-and-done season at Memphis or whatever. But I'd love to to get some real unfiltered honesty about what the uh, 24 hours leading up to that was like for him. I think he was uh, just so eager and happy to be done with this. I, his timing, I thought, was the real – there were two things. One, he was going to play against C.J. Jeffers that night, and I wrote that it would have been LeBron James' decision-like to do that and not pick Memphis. I mean, it just would have been unthinkable in that city to do that to them. But then the other thing was he got set up by the sports center anchor – and it was something like, how did you come to this decision? I don't remember the wording, but Wiseman said, the whole city of Memphis knows my decision. This was before he made the announcement. Like, he was he was just ready to get it done. And I don't even think he realized, like, what he was saying as he was saying it. But he was basically like, yeah, everyone knows what's about to go down here in about 60 seconds. So I thought that was a, a, a funny moment and an unintentional moment on Wiseman's behalf. But uh, it was pretty much in the bag at that point. And um, these, you know, these top five prospect commitments, be they happen on social media or particularly live television, they can sometimes go a little bit haywire and the connection wasn't great. And so I think he announced that he was going to Memphis before he actually officially announced that he was going to Memphis Parish. But regardless, um, obviously such a big day in that city. And there were photos going around on Twitter of just like people in, you know, campus dining halls and just crowded around televisions just waiting for uh, for the big moment. Yeah, it was a big deal. Um, you know that 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 you know sometimes when things happen like this for a college basketball program, they're big for the program or big for the university. One of the unique things about Memphis is that it's big in the city. Like it it matters in the city. You know, like there are other cities Memphis's size where the college basketball team matters, but I'm not sure there's one that matters as much as Memphis matters in Memphis. Um, like Marquette doesn't matter in Milwaukee as much as Memphis matters. In Memphis, I'm not even sure Villanova matters as much in Philly. You could correct me if I'm wrong. No, I think you're probably right. Uh, the The cities are not the same. Uh, yeah, Memphis uh, isn't Philly, but Memphis is comparable to, to Milwaukee. Let's just yeah. say, like NBA cities, like cities. If you have an NBA right. team or an NFL team or a Major League Baseball team, like go through all those cities. I don't know that any any basketball program matters in a in a city that fits the description I just described. As much as Memphis matters in Memphis, like UCLA doesn't matter in LA the way Memphis matters in Memphis, right? Um, and you know, I, I so it, it yeah, it resonates throughout the city. It is what everybody's talking about. It's what everybody's doing. You mentioned the game he was playing against DJ Jeffries. It was down in North Mississippi, actually, and uh, the mayor of Memphis went to the game. The mayor, 
went to the high school basketball game. And do you know they sold from the moment James Wiseman announced for Memphis till tip-off of that game? They sold an additional 3,000 tickets. And that's the other reason he was never going to not announce for Memphis. Once he scheduled the announcement for, you know, five hours, six hours before the game, it would have killed the game. And it's also why he scheduled the announcement when he did, because I think the promoters wanted him to, because it, like, made a lot of money. They, they sold an additional 3,000 tickets. Last thing on this, um, you know, for Kentucky, it is, it is a bit of a blow. You mentioned that John's going to miss out on the top player in the country for the seventh consecutive year. And – it's not even just miss out on it. It's like lose him, lose him, because they were getting him. It was done. You know, I, I um, James Wiseman was going to Kentucky, and DJ Jeffries was going to Kentucky. And I talked to somebody, let's just say, connected to that program on the day before, and I was like, so how do you feel? And the person said, I haven't felt good about it since the day Tubby Smith got fired. And it really is, I think, true that Memphis firing Tubby Smith was awful for Tubby Smith, although maybe not because he gets out of that madhouse and still gets his $10 million, so maybe it was great for Tubby Smith. But if you want to say it was bad for Tubby Smith because it sucks to get fired, fine. Here's my point. It was, if you're looking for a list of people who it was bad for, it's bad for John Calipari. Because before Tubby Smith gets fired, he's got James Wiseman, the number one player in the country, and he's got DJ Jeffries. Like, that's done. Memphis firing Tubby Smith to hire Penny Hardaway literally cost Kentucky two prospects in the class of 2019. It has Kentucky fans questioning John Calipari now. Hold up. Yeah. It's one thing when we were losing to recruits to Coach K, but now we're losing to Penny Hardaway too? And the, the Memphis stuff, it's, it's a unique situation. Like Penny is not going to go and be going forward having coached the you know, five-star prospects who he's, already, you know, who he's now recruiting. This is a small window. The day Tubby Smith got fired was a bad day. Um, was a bad day for John Calipari. It's also Calipari weird and, synergy, Parish, in that Tubby. It was Smith a reminder of that. Yeah, it's weird synergy in that Tubby used to coach Kentucky. <laughs> it's just like weird, like this. The 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 coaches connected to all that. Okay, last thing is uh, Kansas got a scare from Marquette on Wednesday night, and then they started the second half twenty-two nothing. Roared, pulled away. Kansas beats Marquette. Obviously, the number two team in the country. Tennessee takes care of Louisville. Those teams will play in the NIT title game uh, on Friday. I will be there at Barclays, and we'll have an interesting situation. If Kansas loses, there will be no debate. Gonzaga will be your number one team in the country on Monday. If Kansas wins, I'm curious to see if some people will uh, choose to leapfrog uh, Gonzaga over Kansas because I'm I'm riffing off the top of my head here, Parrish, but I think Kansas only had seven first-place votes in the most recent AP poll. So a Kansas-Gonzaga, who you got number one, could be a, could be an interesting one. But we'll see if Kansas can even get this win. That should be pretty intriguing overall. It's another just a good top five, top ten matchup in the poll. Like, Gonzaga, Gonzaga and Duke was awesome, and hello, uh, that was the day before Thanksgiving, now the day after. We're going to get one on the other side of the United States in Brooklyn, so I'm looking forward to that. And then the undercard of that, by the way, is Louisville against Marquette, which turns into an urgent game for Marquette. Should be an NCAA tournament team, top three in the Big East, and now it just it really, really could use a win there, and there's no guarantee it's going to happen. Uh, obviously, the 
maybe it's not so obvious, but uh, the coaching staffs are familiar with each other. You know, you've got Chris Mack in Louisville, who was at Xavier last season, so it's going to be an interesting thing where it's non-conference opponents, but for all intents and purposes, like I'm sure Mack's running a lot of the same stuff he ran at Xavier, so Marquette should be relatively well prepared. So that'll be intriguing on its own, but uh, if you're looking for the biggest game the day after Thanksgiving, and Thanksgiving also is loaded with college hoops, there's no doubt about it, Kansas-Tennessee is what you want to tune into. Yeah, I, I, that one won't get as much attention as Duke-Gonzaga because Duke, Duke and Gonzaga, Gonzaga is not a quote-unquote blue blood, but they are one of the biggest brands in college basketball. I wrote this on Wednesday morning. There are only three programs in the country that have won at least 25 games for 11 consecutive years, and two of them are Duke and Gonzaga. Um, Kansas is the other Kansas, yes, yeah. So um, – so like Duke Gonzaga like really resonates like two two basketball brands. Whereas Tennessee's not really a basketball brand; it's a big athletic program brand, but it's not a basketball brand. And so this one won't resonate the way Duke Gonzaga did, but it's just as good. I mean, it, it doesn't have as many pros, but you know, on, on that Duke Gonzaga court earlier today, we have four probable lottery picks in Zion, RJ, Cam, and and Rui. I don't know how many lottery picks are going to be in the Kansas-Tennessee game. Maybe one, Quentin Grimes. But in terms of like, you know, it's number two versus number five. On Wednesday, we got number one versus number three. And on Friday, we're going to get number two versus number five. And that's a, that's a hell of a way to spend. This was a good way to spend the day before Thanksgiving. That'll be a great way to spend the day after. It is. And this is just a great week for college basketball. I know you've been so into the Maui stuff there. But for all of us that have been just kind of tracking it, and as we watch even here on uh, late into Wednesday night, you know, uh, full disclosure, full transparency, you know, we are recording before uh, Arizona plays um, – Auburn, Auburn. And that could that could be an awesome game. Like maybe something amazing is going to happen there. And apologies, but Parrish has got to get himself some dinner. I've got to get to bed tomorrow's Thanksgiving. You know, whole big to do here. But uh, for our next podcast later this week, um, and frankly, Parrish, let's not even commit to one like time right now because we got to figure out your travel schedule, what I'm doing, whatever. You know, for the listeners that are wanting, you know, oh, why don't you talk about this game or this team? Well, let's just let some of these tournaments play out just a little bit here. Let's see what happens. UNC, Texas, UCLA, Michigan State, and Vegas. Like, there's a lot there. So the stuff of relevance, uh, there's a boatload of, of results here. So we're going to have plenty to talk about uh, on the next podcast, and we will definitely get to that. So look forward to that at some point over the weekend, be it Friday or Saturday. We've got you covered. We know there's a lot of other stuff happening out there, and we'll keep an eye on it because there's a lot of, like, minor upsets and just teams that are finding themselves in prickly little spots there where you lose one game in a tournament then you lose two then you 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 find yourself really behind the eight ball so we're tracking it and uh the stuff that you need to know about we'll hit on the next pod i don't want to let you get out of here without a kansas tennessee prediction give me a winner norlander uh i think it's going to be a close game just about the whole way i'll take kansas parish um and i think it's going to be more low scoring give me it like along the lines of you know, low scoring for the for the modern game. So I'd say 73-70, give me the Jayhawks and what I think will be a, a pretty good affair and why the hell not I'll do the other one as well. I'll, I'll take Marquette you know, along the lines of, say, 84-80 to 80 over Louisville. I swear to God in my head, I swear to God on my, my youngest son's life, and I shouldn't risk his because he's a miracle, the score I had in my head was 73-70 Kansas. <laughs> that's, that's what I was going to say. I feel like you read my mind. We're approaching you- married couple territory, I guess. Did you read my mind? Could you hear the luau outside my window? I heard it about 20, 25 minutes ago. I heard a little something, something, which was, which was good. You Go get yourself some dinner. Enjoy the rest of your time in I'll Hawaii. go see Trent Frazier next door.
<laughs> Trent Frazier's not going to be a good mood. Illinois lost. They went 0-3 in Maui. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a good situation for Illinois, who uh, who's still in the process of rebuilding. But Trent Frazier's a, a fine young player, and uh, Illini fans are going to just need a little more patience. Brad, I do believe, is going to get that turned around. How about Illinois taking Gonzaga to the final seconds on mm. Monday? Gonzaga going on to win the thing, and Illinois going 0-3. It's just some how these things go man sometimes Paris it's just it, it's just how it goes and uh you know we all we all yeah we we almost didn't have this in general because what Arizona was able to do and how it looked early um it, you know the bracket got close to getting blown up a little bit here and there but ultimately it came out uh, the way we, hope, we hoped it for it to be shouts to Devin Downey shouts to Chester South Carolina shouts to Terry MF and Tigo. he's the legend shouts to Larnell and Please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. And when you do that, rate it favorably. And when you do that, I mean five stars with nice comments. That's all I've ever asked from you. Please do it. I'll travel back to the mainland some point on Thanksgiving. And we'll talk to you again real soon. Till then, take care.